You know, selling is like baseball or softball. Like you can be out or safe by like a centimeter. You can make the sale or not make the sale by a few words you just reword and a few questions you tweak that trigger more openness. I mean, we're not talking about just selling to the lay down sales, right? Like every prospect you talk to has a problem, right? Or problems. And does your solution solves those? Well, if that's a yes and a yes, well, why are they not buying from you? Well, it's because of what you're saying and not asking that's triggering the prospect to run the other way. All right, you're listening to the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com, a show about how to build your e-commerce business to be profitable, scalable, one day even sellable. I'm Isaac Porter, and on the show today, we're talking about sales, not just selling your website, but selling your products and your services. You know, many of us don't consider ourselves salespeople. Sales on a website are made through copywriting, marketing, and probably some paid advertising. So we're not salespeople. We're more like marketers, right? But here's the thing. Everyone needs to be selling, and at all times, you're selling something, especially if you're in a leadership position in your company. So let's bring in someone who's an absolute sales expert. He's the chairman of 7th Level, a global sales training company, and the host of the podcast, Closers Are Losers, Jeremy Miner. Welcome to the Deal Closers podcast. Isaac, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, some would say an expert. Yeah, for sure. You know, my kids say I'm pretty boring. So thanks for the compliment. So it's good to, good to be on your show. Appreciate it. Yeah, glad to have you here. So, um the name of your podcast got my attention. Right okay. <laughs> so why did you call it Closers Are Losers? You know, obviously you're on the, the Deal Closers podcast. And so that that was intriguing to me right out of the gate. Well, you know, part of it is for branding, you know, slap people in the face because they're, you know, looking at sales podcasts. And there's one that's like smacks them in the face that says, hey, basically you're a loser. Now, do I mean, obviously, if you're closing sales that you're a loser? Obviously not. Right. I had a, I had a pretty, some would say a pretty successful career as a a professional salesperson for 17 years before I retired and started seventh level, but closers or losers is meaning if you're, if you're using old school sales techniques, if you're using, you know, repackaged as consultative selling techniques that have been around for decades, yet your, your prospects that you're talking to have drastically changed their buying behaviors, even in the last several years, and you're still using old school techniques that have been around you know, 100 plus years, you are losing sales that you could be making. Hence, closers are losers. You know, in our mind, selling is not adversarial. Okay, so If you want to be a top salesperson that makes hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in commissions, or let's say even more, or if you're a business owner and you really want to scale your company from seven figures to eight figures, then eight figures to nine figures and above, if you want to be that good, Selling is not adversarial. It's not you against the prospect trying to win them over, manipulate them so you can make money. Okay, that's what average salespeople do in our day and age. Okay, if you want to be a top 1% sales professional or a top 1% earning company, you need to think selling is collaborative. It's you working with the prospect to help them find and solve problems that they didn't know they have. So if you want to be at the top, you got to be collaborative, not adversarial. Okay. All right. Cool. So I did some research before you came on the show, checked out your LinkedIn profile. I checked out, you know, obviously read your your bio. Uh, You've got a book coming out, which I'll get to in a minute. But one of the things that was interesting to me is that you've done some deep studies on 
behavioral science and human psychology. Yep. From that lens, I'd like to ask you kind of a broad question. How do consumers choose what to buy and, and where to buy it from? Yes, that's a good question. So my background is behavioral science and human psychology. That's what I went to school for. So it's, it, it, you know, really disregarding the scientific terminology that maybe some of your listeners not might, might not be familiar with since they didn't go to school for that. It's really the study of the brain, like an overall picture of behavioral science. It's the study of the brain and why a human being makes a decision one way or the other. Like, why does a human being decide to do this instead of do this? That's really what behavioral science is. Okay. So I would say the biggest thing as kind of an overview that salespeople and business owners need to understand is this one myth, okay, about what, why somebody buys from you, okay? There's a book somewhere here on this shelf that everybody's heard of by Dale Carnegie from mm-hmm. 1936, 1936, called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. And in the book, he says, you know, people, people buy from people they like. Okay, I, you, possibly, but that was in 1936, Okay, advertising was much different. It's in your face right now. You're you're being advertised to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. People in our day and age do not buy from people they like. They buy from people who they feel can get them the best result. If they like you, that is just a bonus. But people do not just buy from you because you're a cool person, all right? If that was the case, nobody would be buying from Amazon. They'd be going down to the local store and buying from that retail store because they like their neighbor. But why do they buy from Amazon? Do they just like Jeffrey Bezos? Maybe, probably not. They buy from Amazon because Amazon gets them the best result. So we have to get out of this myth and like, everyone's like, oh, you got to get them to like you. Like, ask them how their day's going. Ask them how the weather is in Dallas. Ask them who won the game last night. None of that builds trust. None of that builds credibility because your prospects know you are genuinely not interested in how their damn day is going. Let's just be realistic, right? You try to ask a CEO of a Fortune 500 company that, they're going to slap you in the face and kick you out of the boardroom in about 10 seconds, all right? Triggers a lot of sales resistance. So the number one thing that people have to realize is that people buy from people or companies they feel can get them the best result. If they like you, that is just a bonus, but they don't buy from you just because you're a cool person that just, you know, had the gift of the gab. That is a big myth that most salespeople fall into that trap. And so how does trust, how does trust play into the best result? It's got to be part. Well, trust is only built. So let's say, okay. And it's a little bit different if you're writing copy, let's say you, you, you don't have an, a sales force. You're just, you know, have a bunch of e-commerce stores. So you're basically making sales from your copy compared to, let's say you're an owner of a marketing agency and you've got a sales floor that's calling prospects, okay? So if you're on the phone or if you're in person and you're having conversations, trust is built by you, the sales professional, building a gap in the prospect's mind from where they are. Okay? We call that their current state or current situation. Okay? What's really going on? Because most of your prospects don't know really what's going on when you first start talking to them. They don't sit around thinking about it all the time, right? They don't even know what their real problems are. So you're building a gap from where they are compared to where they want to be. So this is their current state. This is what's called their objective state. What, what is their future going to look like once all these newfound problems that your questioning ability has allowed them to see that they have? So trust credibility and expertise is built on the questions you're asking that trigger the prospect to actually want to engage with you 
and want to open up with you and go below the surface. I'm not talking about like, oh, John, what's uh, two problems that's keeping you awake at night? Or what are you looking for in a solution? Those are just surface level questions and your prospects know what you're trying to do when you ask those type of questions. So I'm talking about questions. These are called, and we'll talk about this in a second, neuroemotional persuasion questions that are designed to get the prospect to basically tell you and themselves their inner and external truths, their emotional state, their emotional feelings. Now, we can't just run in and grab it, ask an emotional question in the first 30 seconds. We have to build up to that by asking easier to answer questions that allow the prospect to trust us enough, feel comfortable with us enough to go below the surface and tell us what's really going on. That's how trust is built. That's how you get a prospect to view you as more of the expert, more as the trusted authority, whereas they view the majority of salespeople that talk to them as just another salesperson who's trying to stuff their solution down their throat. Massive difference in the commissions you make as a salesperson once you learn the difference. Okay, this is a really interesting topic. So you said trust, expertise, and credibility. That's why people buy. If they trust you, they view you as an expert and authority, and they will pay far more from you if they view you that way than just some other salesperson that's asking them a few questions and going into pitch mode. So one of the reasons why what you just said is so interesting to me as as an e-commerce guy and a online marketer is that Google's algorithm is based on three factors for search results, Okay, uh, which are expertise, authority, and trust. Yeah. Uh, which is exactly the three, three reasons that you said that people buy. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that's a, a quantifiable example of the largest search engine in the world Yeah, uh, using the factors that, that you just laid out to base all search results on. And so I think there's direct correlation here in how online companies can market with your techniques. Very interesting. Okay. So, how do you kind of incorporate these lessons into, into the sales process? Well, you have, to have a, you have to have a sales process, a step-by-step structure, okay, that gets the prospect to persuade themselves and pull you in. And that's what, that's what we call NEPQ or neuroemotional persuasion questions. So, you know, I kind of talked about the current, like, how do you get them to see what their current situation is? So we start off by asking what are called connecting questions, okay? And this is for outbound leads, inbound leads, could be cold calling. I mean, it could. there's any type of sales situation. So connecting questions take the focus off you and put it on the prospect, okay? Then once we've done that, we want to ask what are called situation questions. Situation questions help you, the salesperson, the owner, or whoever you are, whoever's talking to the prospect, and most importantly, helps your prospect understand what their real situation actually is. Because most of your prospects don't even know when you first start talking to them, right? You know, I had a big keynote with a huge uh, insurance company in Denver uh, last week, spoke to about 6,000 insurance agents. And we talked about, look, does your average prospect you talk to, do they do they sit around talking? To, do they write up all their expenses for their mortgage and and their food and their, and their kids' college and their car payments and their student loan debt and their credit card debt and the interest and inflation. Do they sit and write all of that up before they have a call with you as the insurance person to talk about how much coverage they need in case they die in one year, three years, 10 years, 12 years? Probably not. So most of them don't know what their real situation is when you first start talking to them. So situation questions help you and them figure that out internally, right? Then we're going to ask what are called problem awareness questions. 
Problem awareness questions help the prospect see what their real problems are. Hate to tell everybody on here, most of your prospects don't know what their real problems are when you first start talking to them, okay? Or maybe they realize they have a problem, but they realize they don't realize how bad the problem really is, right? Or maybe they don't understand the consequences of what will happen if they don't do anything about solving the problem. So problem awareness questions start to build a gap from where they are, current situation, compared to where they want to be. It starts to help them see what their real problems are and why they have the problem, okay? Most salespeople can help the prospect find one problem, but with what we train people, we're going to help them find two or three or four or maybe five of the problems the prospect didn't realize they had. And if you know with, with marketing, if you're able to help the prospect find three or four or five reasons or problems they didn't realize they have, what's the chances of them buying from you? Pretty strong, right? It's like 100%, right? If you can only find help them find one reason, they're less likely to buy. But if you're able to help them three, four, five, way stronger buying opportunities there, okay? Then we're going to move into what's called solution awareness questions that allow the prospect to see what their future is going to look like once all these newfound problems are actually solved. Then we're going to rip it away with what's called a consequence question that gets them to see what the consequences are if they don't do anything about solving these newfound problems they didn't know they had. Like, what are the ramifications? What are the consequences to them? And then let's say if we're on a one-call close, it depends on if you sell B to C or, or B to B. If you're in a one-call close, you're going to transition into your presentation. If you're in a two-call close, maybe you're going to transition into a demo or the next step proposal or the next step meeting with the board of directors. It just depends on what you sell. If you're in a B2B complex sale environment, okay, which maybe some of your listeners are and you have a six-month sales cycle, you're just transitioning to whatever the next step is, okay? And then after we go through the presentation or proposal or demo or whatever we do in our sales process, we're then going to ask what are called commitment questions that get them to commit and take the next step to purchase what we're offering to get them where they want to be. I don't like the word closing. I love the name of the podcast, The Deal Closers. But we, when we train salespeople and companies, we want them to think that they're not a closer, but they're actually a problem finder and problem solver. It gets them to think much differently where they're not just trying to manipulate and pressure because that doesn't work that well with today's savvy consumers, yeah. but they're more of a problem finder and problem solver, and they're helping them get the result they want. And when you learn how to do that with the right questioning, selling becomes really, really easy and really, really profitable for sure. Yeah. Okay. A lot of stuff to unpack there. Some, some really cool topics. So, so you just listed a six, six step process that, yep. that you, it's uh, actually seven. Cause we're going to have a presentation stage, but we didn't, you know, we don't have a time to go into that, but okay. seven, seven step process called NEPQ neuroemotional persuasion question. Sure. So could an, an e-commerce company use that same process to build a funnel for clients or their, their customers to, to kind of walk people through, you know, you said connecting questions, situation questions, problem awareness, solution awareness, consequences. I think, I think a lot of really savvy marketers already kind of do that, right? They connect in a certain way and then they may not realize what they're doing, but they're doing kind of what we're talking about, the best marketers. Cause like our marketing, we actually make money on every lead before we even talk to them. Okay. So our, 
we, we are proof that marketing works, right? We make two to one of our money before a lead even comes into a salesperson on the team. All right. It's good. Do you, what do you mean by that? How do you do that? What does that mean? So we get them to purchase something smaller, like maybe for $27 buyer leads, right? So $27 buyer, $74 buyer, $99 buyer, $297 buyer. So we make two to one on each dollar we spend before that lead even comes into a salesperson. Oh, very good interesting. Place, good place to be. So they're so, already they're already buying. They're already interested. Yeah, and they've yeah. I mean, we you know we do we do about 180 reels per month on Instagram. We're really big on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, Instagram. Make sure Instagram too. Yeah. Instagram. Make sure you're on the right Instagram because there's all these spam accounts. I think the Instagram account you should be following has like 135,000 followers. Make yeah. sure you're on the right one. We're having a crazy time getting verified. Good lord, it's taking forever. But anyways, so we do a lot of reels on TikTok. Uh, you know, 134,000 followers and yeah, 682 posts. And it's got a very good looking picture of you right on the front page. Well, there you go. You know, Facebook. So we, you know, when those leads come in and we start to retarget them, they're already seeing little nibbles, little train nibbles before. I mean, just that causes them to want to have everything, if that makes sense. So I don't want to say they're getting indoctrinated, but they're learning about what we do before we even talk to them, which piques their curiosity and they want to know more. So that's a whole other subject. But I think the top marketers are already doing what we're talking about, right? So they're connecting some way. They're helping the prospect realize what their current situation is. They're helping a prospect feel that they have maybe problems they didn't know they had, right? And they're helping them see what the future is going to look like once they have whatever you're offering, to get them where they want to go. I mean, I think marketers are already kind of doing that. Like the top marketers are already doing that in a way. For uh, right. I think that I th- I'm sure mar- marketers, I'm, I know marketers are doing that, but I thought the, the kind of the organized methodology that you laid out and, and maybe for somebody who's doing their own marketing. I mean, we have a lot of marketing agencies that purchase our virtual training courses for their marketing. I don't know how they're putting that together because we don't, you know, we're not, we're not selling marketing courses to teach people how to write copy to get it to convert or ads. Right. But we have tons of companies, big, pretty large marketing companies that have actually come in and purchased our stuff just to help them in their copy and their ads. But I don't know how they're using. It. Yeah. Okay. So you've been talking about this N N E P Q. I know the boring geeky science stuff. Uh, well, I want to ask you more about it. So, so is NEPQ is that the is that the six step process, or what is that exactly? Yeah, so that's neuro emotion persuasion question. So let's do this. This might this might better break it down for your audience. So, so my background is behavioral science and human psychology. That's what I went to school for. I actually dropped out my senior year, thirteen credits short. There you go. I got bored. But anyways, so according to behavioral science, there are three forms of persuasion. All right. And if you're if you're listeners, if you're driving, you're just going to have to remember this. If you're if you can write this down, write this down, because once you understand kind of where you're at in your current sales ability compared to where you could be, even if you're already doing good, it'll completely change everything for you. So first mode of communication. So, Isaac, if I asked you this question, um, what is the first image that comes to your mind if I said boiler room selling? The, the 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 boiler room movie, you know. Yeah, the Wall show Street. Wolf on Wall Street, yeah. right? With Leonardo DiCaprio. It's like and they're in there like, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. And they're like manipulating and pressuring, you know, high pressure sales. So Sleazy, that's my, cheesy, high pressure. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Yeah. Salesy stuff, you know, from the 80s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah. Um, so that's the first form of communication. There's a scientific term for it, but boiler room selling is pretty much what it means. Okay. So we're the least persuasive 
when we attempt to dominate a prospect or posture them, manipulate them, or push them into doing something we want them to do. Okay. It's just like if you told your spouse that you really, really need to do something for, for you, and then you keep pushing, 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 what do they typically do back? They push. They push back. back. It's just yeah. It's just human behavior. With equal, equal resistance. Yeah, it's human behavior. We trigger sales resistance when we're pushing most people, unless they're a laydown sale, all right? So the, I'll give you kind of a few forms of the least persuasive way to sell. Presenting is one of those, actually. And that, that could be trouble because so many salespeople are taught you have to have amazing presentations. You got to, you know, bring up your, your hour to an hour and a half slide deck. You got to show them here's our corporate office. Here's a picture of our owners. They have the best integrity. We have the best quality. We have the best service. We have a AAA rating with the Better Business Bureau. Here's our awards by the JD Associates for Customer Service Awards. And we have the best this and we have the best that, you know, blah, 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 blah. How many salespeople that have ever tried to sell you something have come up to you and said, oh, uh, John, we have the fifth best uh, product in the market? Nobody. Everybody says they have the best, right? So to a prospect, when they hear every advertisement, every company, every salesperson say that they have the best, what do you think the prospect actually thinks? Yeah, they discount it. It, it, it doesn't mean anything. It just goes in one ear out the other. It's like the more you talk down about your competitors and the more you say you have the best, psychologically, according to the data, your prospect actually trusts you less. Mm-hmm. Right? If you ever you ever watch that uh, show on TV, um, you know, The Bachelor and, and Bachelorette on ABC? Yeah, sure. Every, yeah, so every year the host comes out and says what? The most dramatic season ever. And they've been seeing that for 24 years. So Some nobody are pretty dramatic, though, Jeremy. So, but nobody <laughs> believes it, right? They say the most dramatic season ever, every single season. So it's yeah. like one year, you just sit there like, oh, yeah, I'm sure it is, right? I think that's what you said the last decade in a row, okay? Telling your story. I hate to tell you this. Nobody cares about your story when you're selling one-to-one. Whose story do they mainly care about? They care about their own story. Their own story, right? Yeah. Putting sales pressure on them. There's a massive difference and learning the questioning skills that trigger internal tension in the prospect that causes them to see how bad their problems are and they have to change compared to externally putting sales pressure on them to move forward. Massive difference mm-hmm. in commissions. And assuming the sale, according to the data, very low in the persuasion poll, especially if you're in a more of a complex sound environment that requires multiple calls and touches. So that's the first mode of selling. Now, the second mode, okay, I'll kind of give you the non-scientific term is more known as consultative selling. I think more of your audience would know what that meant. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're more persuasive when we attempt to have a discussion. Okay. Came out in the 1980s, several books, you know, sales trainers. One of them was called, uh, his name is Neil Rackham, who was a college professor who never sold anything by the way, but wrote a book called Spin Selling, where he taught that you needed to ask logical based questions to find the needs of the client. Okay, which makes sense. Right. But what's the potential downfall of the approach when you are only asking logical based questions? We call those surface level questions Well, your prospects are going to give you what type of answers? Surface level, surface level answers. And do human beings make buying decisions off logic or emotion? Emotion, 100 percent, as you know, as a marketer. Right. So when we're asking questions like what's keeping you awake at night, can you have can you tell me two challenges you're having uh, who besides you would be involved in the decision? Uh, what are you looking for in a solution? What sort of budget do you have to set aside for this type of thing? Those are very surface level 
And your prospects are just going to give you surface level answers in return. So we have to learn how to go below the surface. So instead of saying, you know, if let's say if you're in a B2B complex selling environment, let's say you're an agency owner and you're talking to a very large client, let's say, hell, I don't know, let's say you're talking to a Fortune 1000 company. I'm not sure if any of your clients do that or, or listeners, but let's say you're talking to a company that's going to have six, seven, eight plus decision makers or influencers. You're not talking to Ma and Pa down at the laundromat that can just decide right on the spot. Instead of, and you're trying to find the other decision makers, instead of saying who besides you would be involved in the decision, because most people are not going to give that information out. We're wanting to relanguage that. And we might say, Sally, can you, can you walk me through your company's decision-making process when it comes to solving problems like this? See, that question helps go below the surface more. And when they start telling you, you're going to clarify and probe off their answers to keep going deeper under the surface. Okay, that's just an example, right? So more persuasive than pressuring, manipulating, like boiler room selling, but you're still to play the numbers game because you're bringing very little emotion out of asking you know, surface level questions, all right? Third mode, okay, here's where we come in NEPQ. So according to the data, we're the most persuasive when we use what's called dialogue. Okay, when we ask what are called neuroemotional persuasion questions, that stands for NEPQ. All right. Now, here's the $10 billion question. How do you get a prospect to persuade themselves? Right. If it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. Can you just walk up and say, hey, persuade yourself. Here's (laughs) our information. Send us the funds. No. Right. You have to learn, like we talked about, a specific step by step structure of questioning that will trigger your prospect to want to engage, open up to you and go below the surface and actually pull you in rather than you trying to push them forward. So that's the third mode of communication. I want to just kind of crystallize this a little bit for listeners. So out of everything you mentioned today, the the NEPQ process and the, the three different levels of questioning, what's the lowest hanging fruit for one of our listeners? What can they do today to become a better salesperson tomorrow? Well, I mean, besides obviously learning the right questions to ask at the right time with the right tonality, because here's what we all have to understand. And I think a, a lot of people like, I, I feel like I have an inside advantage from like my behavioral science background, just because of this is kind of what's taught, not in a sales environment, but just how the brain works, right? Because if you're a sales professional or business owner and you start to understand how the brain works, like neuroscience and stuff, you you have kind of an unfair advantage, right? So the first thing you have to learn how to do is learn how to become, I know this sounds kind of obvious, but you have to learn how to become like a human and humanize your sales process. Most salespeople sound like scripted freaking robots, right? They've got their script here and they're sitting there on the on the phone or on Zoom and they're sitting here like reading their, their questions off and quite literally the prospect feels that they're like a telemarketer. And I don't care if you're, you know, selling to Fortune 500 companies, right? So you have to learn how to humanize your sales process. You have to learn, you have to be like a Hollywood actor or an actress, okay? You know, I love uh, I love George Clooney's one of my favorite actors. Uh, when you hear, when you watch George Clooney in the film, pretty much everything he says is what? Scripted. Mm-hmm. But does it sound scripted? No. Not at all. Sounds real. Do you, when you're watching him in a movie, do you view him as George Clooney or the character he's portraying? Yeah. You view him as a character. Sure. And what is he, why is that? Because he's memorized his lines. As a professional salesperson, 
if you're not memorizing your questioning and understanding why you're even asking the questions in the first place, it's going to come out in your tone. And when your tone is off, when you sound like a scripted robot, you're, it's triggering sales resistance, okay? So your prospects, within the first 7 to 12 seconds of any sales conversation you're in, I don't care if you sell B2C, B2B, it doesn't matter. Your prospects are picking up on social cues from you. Okay, we can't help it subconsciously, just the way our brains work as a human being. So we're picking up on your verbal and nonverbal cues based on your tonality and what you are saying and or asking that triggers the brain to react. This is scary if we don't understand this. React in one of two ways. If you come across aggressive in your conversations, like assumptive, especially in the beginning, and you come across attached and you come across needy, like you, you need the sale, and you don't understand the right questioning, the right tone, it triggers the brain to go into what's called fight or flight mode. Now, everybody's heard of that, right? But most people don't understand how, what triggers fight or flight mode, what triggers our brains to go into fight or flight mode, okay? And that's where the prospect tries to get rid of you. Oh, we don't need it. Uh, oh, oh, hey, we already used a company for that. We're not interested. Well, how much is this going to be? Like, I don't have time. Just get to the point. Tell me what it's going to cost, right? That's a triggered response based on, what we said and how we said it in the beginning of that conversation, okay? Now, once we learn what we call NEPQ, okay, we learn the right tonality, the right manner when we're on our conversations, and we come across more, uh, we come across more neutral in the beginning, okay? And when I say neutral, I mean unbiased. Like, I'm not, I'm not quite sure we could even help. Like, I don't, you don't know enough information to even know, right? Okay? Yeah. You come across more unbiased. You come across more calm, and especially you come across more detached. Detached is the keyword. You're detached. You don't, you don't even know if you can help yet. And you understand the right questioning, the right tonality. It triggers their brain to become curious enough where they want to engage, where they want to open up to you because they feel like you might have something important to them. So once you learn that, once you learn how to humanize your sales process, you're going to see how your prospects become very open very, very quickly. So they just view you much differently than how they view most salespeople. Man, it's fascinating stuff. Really interesting. A lot of what you're saying really resonates with me as truth, but I think there's there's so much detail in learning learning that and learning how to perfect and execute it as part of the as part of the craft that yeah it's a craft. It's an acquired skill. Yeah, like as you said, no one's born out of your mother's womb with advanced questioning techniques, with advanced tonality and advanced objection prevention techniques. Like these are things you acquire and you learn. Nobody's born with those skills. Yeah. I'll I'll give you, I'll give you another tip just real quick because I just did a reel about this just a few minutes ago before we jumped on here. So when you're talking with your prospect, uh, we, we talk about, you know, being more neutral, like neutralizing your, your words you're using so they don't trigger sales resistance. So instead of, you know, talking with the prospect and saying, Hey, uh, Hey, Isaac, just to be honest with you or just to be transparent with you, we never want to say those type of words because in the prospect's mind, when you say just to be honest with you or just to be transparent with you, in most people's mind, they're going to question if you've been honest with them or transparent with them up until that point. I totally agree with that. I think that I I actively think that when I hear people say that. Yeah, you're triggering sales resistance. So you just would reword it and say, well, Isaac, just so you're aware. Yeah. Or just so you know, okay, it means the same thing, but you're not, you're being more neutral. You're not triggering sales resistance. So just little things like that, you know, selling is like, I always call it, it's like baseball or softball. 
Like you can be out or safe by like a centimeter. You can make the sale or not make the sale by a few words you just reword and a few questions you tweak that trigger more openness. I mean, we're not talking about just selling to the lay down sales, right? Like every prospect you talk to has a problem, right? Or problems. And does your solution solves those? Well, if that's a yes and a yes, well, why are they not buying from you? Well, it's because of what you're saying and not asking that's triggering the prospect to run the other way. So once you learn the right words to use, you learn how to become across, come across more neutral. You learn the right question to ask, the right tonality. Well, you're going to have most of your prospects that want to chase you down and throw money at you to get them the result they're after. And they will gladly pay you way more than your competition because they feel you understand their unique situation the most, period. That's that's awesome. I, I think that's really valuable stuff there. hope that helped there at the end. Um, Jerry, how can our listeners connect with you? Yeah. So, hey, if they want to learn more about what we do, just have them join one of our free Facebook groups so they can get kind of a, you know, some nibbles. We give them a little hors d'oeuvres in there, you know, training away before they get into more of our advanced stuff as, as, as possibly as a client. So just have them go to www.salesrevolution.pro. So I think we gave you the link salesrevolution.pro. We've got about 30,000 people or so in, in there as, as we're recording this right now. Sales professionals, entrepreneurs, consultants, business owners, C-level executives, kind of sales management, everybody's in there. And right when you join, check your DMs on Facebook Messenger because somebody in my team will message you a free training called the NEPQ 101 mini course. My CEO of the company will break down kind of that questioning process we talk to. They'll even have some questions in there that will help them sell more. Uh, and we go live in the Facebook group about three to four times a week, different trainings, different Q&As. We just give everybody little hors d'oeuvres, little nibbles in there. So if they want to sell more, that'd be a good place to start looking at that for sure. Perfect. Really appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com. If you like this show, be sure to rate us, write a review, press the follow button and share it with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce business, be sure to visit WebsiteClosers.com. This episode was edited and produced by Earfluence. I'm Isaac Porter. Follow me on LinkedIn and we'll see you next time on the Deal Closers podcast.